Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. All right, fact check this podcast, and today I'm joined by Adam Mosley. Uh, Alan, damn it. Uh, no, <laughs> no, let's keep it. Just roll tape. I was sending a message to Adam Patrick, and <laughs> I'm going to say thanks, Justin, when we get started. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really funny because I've done like solos of these for about a year now. And uh-huh. when I first started doing these, I had just a ton of little like six or 10 second clips that were me trying to start the podcast and completely screwing it up or like I would, I was like, all right, fact check and then start coughing or sneeze or uh, forget what I was going to say and have to start over again. So yeah, I think we will keep it. Well, Alan Mosley of It's Too Late. Alan, introduce yourself, tell everybody what you do, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. I am a uh, writer, historian, jazz musician, and and host of the best late night show in Liberty. It's It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Heck yeah. <laughs> and the reason I've got Alan on today is... So it's funny, I do work for the Lions of Liberty podcast along with like every other podcast except for maybe yours. And uh, and when you and John had a conversation a few months ago, Mm y'all talked about sports stuff. And I I love that part of the conversation. And as a former high school jock, and and I even played a little bit of basketball in college, uh, I've been a big sports fan all my life. And we are from... But you're from Tennessee, and I'm originally from Kentucky. So there is a – and I, I'm from right on the state line. There is a rivalry between Tennessee and Kentucky that I would like to talk sports rivalries because I think that one might be one of the best. Uh, like, people can people can talk about all the different rivalries and we can talk about all the different rivalries, but I want to kind of look at some of the sec rivalries specifically since that's kind of Mm -hmm. our neck of the woods. So talk a little bit about uh, how you got into sports and some of that. Cause when you talked with John about that, that was really interesting to me anyway. Sure. Well, I'm, you know, in short, when people ask, well, what teams do you support Uh, for any, so football far and away is my favorite favorite sport to uh, follow and keep up with. Uh, If I've ever done any sports gambling or anything like that, I pretty much always stick to football. Uh, So I grew up a a UT fan and for pro a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, so I'm 36 as of this past Monday. 
Um, so, for, so for people who can do the math, that means that when I was growing up, you know, UT and Dallas Cowboys were were the shit. <laughs> I mean, they kind of—if you were a UT slash Dallas Cowboys fan, you lived a charmed life there for quite a while. Um, not so much in my adult life, of course. Um, and then uh, when I went to, so when I went off to college, and I went to Maryville College in East Tennessee. So I mean, UT was five minutes down the road. Um, I actually got into being a big Boise State fan, Boise State Broncos with the blue field and all that stuff. Um, and I can go into why I'm a big fan of theirs later if you'd like to. Uh, but you know, I so I grew up in the era of Peyton Manning was the quarterback at UT, and then of course they transitioned to. So when Peyton Manning leaves, they actually get even better and win a, win a national title and all that stuff. And of course the Cowboys had the trio of Aikman, Irvin, Emmitt Smith. Uh, had an Emmitt Smith jersey in my in my closet and all that stuff. I I will so I, I so I'm one of these homers that will I will die on the hill that Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback who's ever played, and that Emmitt Smith is the greatest running back who's ever played, and I will gladly die on either of those hills. Um, so there you go. That's a brief overview of my my sports background. See, that is really the being uh you know from the border. Kentucky never really had a very good football team. You know, you they would go through stretches where they might have a good – like when they had Tim Couch and Hal Mummy mm-hmm. was, the, was the coach. Like, Kentucky had a good football team there for a couple of years. They were never, like, national title competitive type good, but they had a good team. They were exciting, if nothing else. But, you know, Kentucky always had really good basketball teams. So, my dad always said, like, we lived in the best part of the country – because we were right there on the Kentucky-Tennessee state line, so we could re- root for Tennessee football and Kentucky basketball. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's funny that you say that because I was literally sitting here thinking uh, I d- I don't know exactly where you lived, but if if you lived near the border, then you could basically enjoy the entirety of sports season because because you would have the excuse. Now, see, this is the thing. I'll give. I'll let you have the excuse of being being on the border that it's okay for you to root for one football team and another basketball team. But I have in the past been really critical of people. Like, don't you haven't you ever met those people or have those friends where like they're from, you know, wherever. They're 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 from Birmingham, Alabama, or they're from or not even that. They're they're from Missouri. And you ask them, hey, what teams do you like? And they say, I like the New York Yankees and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And you're like, oh, I'm sure you do, you fair-weather piece of shit. Yeah, it's like people from uh, from back home or even from, like, here that are diehard North Carolina Tar Heel basketball fans. I'm like, have you ever even been to North Carolina, like, at yeah. all? <laughs> Much less been to a game? Like, any – like – you you're a you are a Tar Heel basketball fan exclusively because you were a Jordan fan at one point when you were younger and that's where he went to college. Like you've never you have no connection to so and like well, I have my Mississippi State shirt on because since we were doing this and we were gonna be talking about the SEC, I had mm-hmm. to I had to sport my gear. But I actually went to Mississippi State. Like I, I was there. At least I I didn't graduate from there, but that's where I started out and that's where I to this day kind of regret leaving because like that's where my heart was and I loved it. And uh, mm-hmm. when we, my wife and I have talked about it, like when we retire, we're moving to Mississippi and going to go hide out in the woods somewhere. But, uh, what? but you know, so, so it's, I, I had, I have some fanship that may not necessarily make sense, uh, you know, in terms of where I'm from, but 
I have a connection because I, I actually went there. Like, well, you know, I live in Middle Tennessee now, and you know, there's of course there's plenty of Titans fans around. Needless to say, and I've had Titans fans say, "Well, wait a minute, you know, like yeah, like I'll follow the Titans, but I I don't really root for them." And say, "Well, why why do you not root for the Titans? Why are you a Cowboys fan?" And I would say, "Well, of course I have the excuse that." You know, I'm not old, but I'm in my later 30s now. So the Titans didn't exist when I was a young, formative football fan f- picking a team to like. So that's my excuse there. There was no Tennessee Titans when I was a young man. It, you know, so I was a Cowboys fan. A lot of people in this area were Cowboys fans back then because A, the Cowboys were good, and B, the nearest teams would have been like the Cowboys, the Atlanta Falcons, and like the Indianapolis Colts in this kind of southeastern area. So, and I mean, of course, the Carolina Panthers and Jacksonville Jaguars didn't even exist at that time either. So, I mean, it would it made more sense to well, you're like one market over. That's the team that I like. So it's not a it's not a huge leap. So, so I mean, even but even getting back to the college thing, it's like so you're you're get the excuse because I mean, at least with Kentucky, it's like and, and I'm not like I'm not trying to be the guy who we just met five minutes ago. And now I'm shitting on your team, but. Kentucky football blows, whereas Kentucky basketball, if Kentucky basketball only wins 20, 25 games, it's fire everybody, start over. Whereas if Kentucky football does win four, it's like, ah, better luck next time. <laughs> right? Like that's so, and, but I mean, it's the same thing for UT, right? Like UT basketball has been good lately and people are just on cloud nine. It's like, oh my God, we have a basketball team. Whereas if the football team, what, you didn't win the national title, fire everybody. That's how UT football fans are. And and they were on that they were kind of on that kick there for a few years like every year they just fire the entire coaching staff. It's like uh maybe give the guy at least two or three years to see what he can do like that, it, that was kind of crazy. It is it is true that the conventional wisdom is is that if you're going to hire somebody you ought to bring them in, let them have a few years to recruit their because it's not just a matter of recruiting but recruiting players that fit their system that are going to run their offense run their. And I get that. But you also uh, – there's this old quote by um, – it's actually from an old AD of Florida, as much as I hate the Gators. and I mean, and this would have been back in like the 70s, uh, where he said, uh, anything that you should do eventually, you should do immediately. And if you – and if they hired – like if, you, if, if you're the new AD and the former AD hired a coach that everyone knows is a bum, you should fire him today. So I, so I actually do – as I've gotten older, I do kind of have more of the opinion of, look, like – if, if your coach is an absolute train wreck, you know, you, you and I having the conversation of, well, we'll fire him in a couple of years. That's ridiculous. Fire him tonight. I, I guess I see the, uh, the logic in that. It, that makes a little more sense, especially with, uh, with Tennessee, because like that, I guess they're the first, that first coach, oh, who was it? Uh, well, so, okay. Here, here, I'll, I'll give you the really quick rundown. So, obviously, they went from Johnny Majors to Philip Fulmer when Majors was in a little bit of a downer and had the heart issue. Look, that that still causes civil wars and backroom deals to this day in Knoxville, and that was back in the early 90s. And, of course, Fulmer, very successful, won a lot of games. And then he had a downturn, and they fired him. Now it was a new it was a new regime in the athletic department that ultimately pulled the trigger on him. And again, to this day, there's people that say, "Well, maybe it was time for him to go," but they didn't handle it well. And then they brought in Lane Kiffin, who Lane didn't get fired. Lane left after one year so that he could get fired by USC as opposed to get fired by UT. 
Um, and then they brought, and then they replaced him with Derek Dooley, who was an unbelievably unqualified candidate who only got the job because of politics. He gets fired. Uh, then they bring in Butch Jones. Of course, he gets fired. Then they bring in Pruitt. And of course, he gets fired quicker, but it's because he was handing out McDonald's bags with cash in it, for God's sakes, on top of being a terrible coach. And now they brought in Josh Heupel. So a really, really, really quick breakdown of why UT is as bad off as they are and, and why a lot of UT fans are... UT fans look at teams like Arkansas, and I know Arkansas played terrible today, but in general, they're having a good year when, like two years ago, they went 0-8 in the SEC. And you're like, wow, that's a quick turnaround. UT fans are angry because look they look way down their nose at a team like arkansas like they don't have anywhere near the tradition of ut right so how it is that they've turned it around so fast and ut can't the answer that's it's a two very simple answers one they hired the right guy ut didn't hire the right guy several times and two if if alabama fired nick saban tonight because who knows? He got caught with a prostitute and he gets fired. Alabama, even with the worst coach in the country, would still be okay next year because of so much talent on the roster and coming up. UT has now gone through like a 10, 15 year window of being depleted. So they could in turn hire Nick Saban tomorrow. What's he going to do with a bunch of two and three star guys that wouldn't start for any other team? It's just That's just how it is. It's going to take more than a year or two no matter who you get. Right, and that was something that, with Mississippi State's recent uh, coaching changes, they they flipped pretty quick. Uh, shoot, well, the guy that came in right after Mullins, uh, they turned him over really quick, which is probably going to be a good thing. But as a fan, it's like okay, like you bring somebody in for their system and what they're going to do. And then you, you don't even give it a chance. Like, because you're, you're trying to transition away from something that was, you know, radically successful for the school with, with what, with what Mullen did. And mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knew he was going to ultimately go to Florida. I mean, it's not like that was, <laughs> I think, I think probably everybody knew when he came to Mississippi state to begin with that eventually he would end up back in Florida. I mean, like I didn't think that he was going to coach it at state for the rest of my life or anything like that. So, but then to, to turn it over that quickly, like you got to give, I would like to at least see two years. Like don't just go one year and okay, fuck this. We're moving on. Like at least Mm -hmm. give it a chance to play out to some extent. Uh, That that's what drives me nuts, but I'm a little, I guess I'm too pragmatic. Like, cause I have coached, uh, I coached baseball, high school baseball when I was younger, and I've coached some high school basketball here in the mm-hmm. last few years. And, like, that first year, it's always shit. Even if you have a good team, like, we had a good team with the basketball teams that I coached. But that first year was a whole lot of everybody getting used to each other. The kids getting used to me and the other guy who coached with me, us getting used to them, them getting used to each other. You know, so the mm-hmm. second year – you start to see a little more cohesiveness that, uh, you know, if you throw it all out after one year, then you're, you're, you're going right back to the starting block kind of like Tennessee did for a decade. Well, I, I will say this, like I said, in, in years past, I would have been more sympathetic to the, to the traditional point of view of it's going to be a few years. They have to have time to make adjustments, uh, recruit for the scheme, all that kind of stuff. But I will say this, 
college, I mean, major D1 college football. I mean, you're if you're the head coach of a major D1 college football team, I mean, you literally are the CEO of like a billion dollar organization. This is this is this is serious stuff we're talking about here. And a and a good coach like like I, I I made the analogy of well UT would still be bad even if they hired Nick Saban tomorrow that would be true but you would still expect to see an improvement they can be bad but you would expect to see an improvement even in the first year because the type of guys who are deserving of running a billion dollar organization known as a major D one college football team they're gonna get those kind of results at least at least you're gonna see signs of those results pretty much right off the bat. I've I've been somebody who's made the argument in the past of, you know, again using Saban as an example. A lot of a lot of non-sportsy type people, a lot of the people who, ah, you watch sports ball, it's bread circuses, those types of people. Those are the people who get really angry because someone like Nick Saban is the highest paid public employee in his state and oh, well, my my favorite professor of creative writing only makes $40,000, but Nick Saban makes 10 million. It's like, but if you look at what the football team is worth and what results he gets and what money the school makes because of his results, if anything, he's underpaid by a factor of ten. And I'm not, and I'm not exaggerating. You could yeah. pay that man a hundred million dollars, and he would still, you'd still be making a buck if you're Alabama. Right. He he's actually providing a massive value to the university, whereas your your favorite professor is probably just churning out more communists. So. Yeah, and it, I mean, you can even like obviously on the other end of the spectrum since UT has been in such a downswing for so long now. But even with that, UT is still something like the eighth or ninth wealthiest athletic program in the country. So yeah, you better believe if they hire somebody that's not churning out results pretty quick, they're going to fire that guy because they're sitting here th looking at it like, well, I mean, our AD is sitting on something like three hundred and fifty million dollars. If you can't perform, we'll find somebody who can. If any other type of business, like this is a competitive sport, but if it were any, if you were, if you were just selling widgets, you, that's exactly how you would be running it if you were on the board. Okay. So to pivot a little bit, you mentioned Florida and your hatred of Florida and Arkansas. <laughs> and so I want to talk, I want to kind of dig, dig into the rivalry stuff, but also some of the okay. not rivalries that, are still kind of rivalries that pop up, especially in the Southeastern Conference. Just like as a Mississippi State fan, for whatever reason, and and I just like wholesale bought into it, it mm -hmm. you know, being a part of that culture. We hate LSU. Like, Ole Miss is our rival, and everything is fuck Ole Miss until <laughs> you die. But at the same time, fuck LSU too. Like, there is mm -hmm. a there is an like an undying hatred of LSU almost as much as Ole Miss, but maybe not to that extent. I don't really know why it's not like there's some, you know, big, uh, I mean, I, I guess I say that we would, uh, we would road trip down to Baton Rouge on weekends and, and party and hang mm -hmm. out. And uh, a lot of, a lot of students at state came from Louisiana. And so maybe there, maybe there's something like historically there that, just didn't make sense to me but so so talk about like Tennessee and Florida there there's a huge hatred between the two that mm -hmm. and like I guess does that just go back to the the 90s when both teams were relatively good and yeah so okay so with as it pertains to rivalries there's because there's a few different type of rivalries there's uh there's there's 
rivalries in state. So if you happen to be in a state where there's multiple major programs, it's hard for them to exist and not play and be rivals because it would it would be weird if they didn't, right? Like like it, you know, you look in the state of Florida for instance, you've got Florida, Florida State, and Miami who are not even in the same conferences, but they got to play. Come on. Like it would be weird if they didn't. Um and so with Mississippi State, of course you got old Miss. It, it it would it would just be odd for there to be two SEC programs down the road from each other and them just not be competitive that'd be weird uh and then you have the border rivalries so there's your lsu and your mississippi state right there right is that it's a border rival you're both in the sec west um so that's another thing too is that a lot of you know maybe the younger audience doesn't realize that you know the the modern era of mega conferences and all the teams leaving to join a, a handful of conferences that's a relatively new thing but i mean the sec is not even as old of a conference as like the big 10 and the big 12 stuff like that uh and they didn't even have like the east and west wasn't even created until the 90s like that wasn't even a thing not that long ago historically speaking uh so so you know you look at ut of course ut tennessee as a state what one of the things that's always kind of been a feather in the cap for ut as a program is tennessee is not a hotbed of high school sports so they've always had to go out to Alabama, Georgia, Florida, to those states to get talent. Because just it's just, you know, Tennessee may have three, four, five really blue chip type recruits in the whole state, and that's it for a year. Um, and yet they've been able to be pretty competitive. So the only other program in Tennessee is Vanderbilt. And, of course, Vanderbilt. Like, Tennessee and, Tennessee and Vanderbilt are rivals because they're both programs in the state. But let's be honest, that's not a rivalry. Come on. I was say that. No, nobody it's, is a rival of Vanderbilt. Like, yeah. Nobody even considers them a well, – the, in according like this is this is for real according to like the league according to the NCAA according to CBS you know when they're doing things like rivalry week and stuff like that it's often Tennessee Vanderbilt or Tennessee Kentucky now Tennessee and Kentucky there's there's your state border rivalry they're nearby they're in opposite states so you got a little bit of the state pride thing and then you've got the programs and they're both in the SEC East so there's your there's your old Miss Mississippi State right but even then as it pertains to football I mean UT has beaten Kentucky like 60 more times in the all-time so i mean that's not really a rivalry in football so when you don't really have a super competitive rival that's either in state or you know intrastate then it's the next type of rival is who's a competitive team that's vying for you at the top of a conference so for tennessee it's florida I mean, Georgia's good now, but again, historically, like you go back 10 or 15 years, nobody gave a shit about Georgia. Georgia had one good year in the middle of the 80s, and then from then to 2004, UT skunked them every year. So Georgia wasn't really a rival. It was Tennessee and Florida with right, Steve like during, Spurrier. During our, te- during our teenage and like early 20s, because uh, I'm I'm 37, and I'll be I'll be 38 in a couple months, so we're pretty, pretty close to the age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like during our teenage and early 20s years, South Carolina was a more prevalent team than Georgia. Like when they had Spurrier and and uh, like everything that he was doing with with the South Carolina program, like they were more relevant than Georgia at that time. So yeah, Georgia is a kind of a new fad, but they're not. Mm-hmm. They just don't have that longstanding. I mean, I guess they were always kind of they were always kind of there, but they weren't they weren't anything even remotely close to what they are now. For you know, yeah, I mean. Even as a as a Mississippi State fan with a, you know, average team most years, you would usually look at Georgia and consider that a probably a W. You know? Yeah. Well, see, the other thing, this is another thing that makes it specifically if we're talking football, because it is football season and it's my favorite time of year. 
one another thing that's always been kind of a not an I, I don't know if oddity is the right word for it, but another thing that's always been about Tennessee is um, some teams rotate their their divisional opponents every year. Like the East will have a couple of West games and vice versa. Tennessee has one guaranteed West opponent every year. Who is that? Alabama. Because Tennessee and Alabama. Now, you want to talk about old rivals. I mean, we're talking old as in 100 years Tennessee and Alabama have been rivals. Well, of course, Alabama, in the same way that UT beats Kentucky in football, says, ha, 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 you suck. And then in basketball season, they say, we were just joking. It's the same thing in football for Alabama and Tennessee. Now, Tennessee's had some streaks where they beat Alabama a bunch. But Alabama's streaks have been longer you know, historically than UT streaks have been. Uh, and so, so vice versa, you have Alabama and UT, but you, so UT is, the, is this, is in this weird position where their immediate like state rivals are always lower tier football programs. And, and even though they were, they played during rivalry week, it's like, okay, you beat your rival by 50. Are they really a rival? But on the other end of the spectrum, it's, but you have to go through Florida every single year to win the SEC East. And oh, by the way, Florida is going to play the Citadel this week. UT gets to play Alabama this week. So so UT always has like that one extra really difficult SEC game built into the schedule every single year for like 80 years now they play Alabama. Uh, so, you know, take like next year, for example, I think that think this year, well, actually this year, UT's West opponents are Ole Miss and Alabama. And it's like, Jesus Christ, because Ole Miss is like better now. And they're, I know they're playing Alabama as we speak. And next year it's back to LSU. I think they're playing LSU and Alabama, you know, over the last 20 years, if I told you, Hey, your two out of conference opponents are Alabama and LSU. You would say, Jesus Christ, who made this schedule? That's UT football. That's how it is for UT, right? Like that's so. If you're going to talk about rivalries, you have to talk about, you know, classic rivalries in terms of tradition are fun, and that's and those are some of the things that make college football, in particular, college sports, great. But the competitive rivalries, really, at the end of the day, are I think what more modern sports fans are going to recognize. And so for UT, yeah, Alabama, Florida, all the way. See, there's something interesting in that that. I guess subconsciously maybe it was there, but I'd never, uh, never thought about it or, or said it out loud, but it's, it's funny that you mentioned that with Tennessee and Bama being the East West, like Tennessee, they get each other on their schedule every year, mm-hmm. Mississippi state and Kentucky, at least for, uh, for all of my high school and college years, Mississippi state and Kentucky, had each other every single year it was a home and home every year and uh, my my uncle went to UK and my dad went to UK he ended up graduating from Murray State but I uh my family is very very big UK fans not that I I was more of a UK fan when I was younger and then Mm -hmm. and then I, I moved away and Mississippi State became my team but for all of my younger years and all through college, Mississippi State and Kentucky played each other every year. Mm-hmm. So like my uh, my dad, mom and dad, and my aunt and uncle came down for the UK game, and that was when that was when they had Jared Lorenzen. And <laughs> oh my gosh, that dude like like you thought he was big on TV, and then you see him in person, and it's like I'm I'm six five, like I'm you know eye level with him, and he was just a behemoth of a man i mean it, that, well, he was 
and watching him play because he just absolutely murdered Mississippi State's team. It was the uh, it was the waning years of Jackie Sherrill, and there was all kinds of crazy shit that was going on with them trying to get rid of Sherrill, and mm-hmm. uh, and he was like he was not a good coach at that point, and the team just wasn't that good. And Lorenzen just absolutely destroyed the Mississippi State's defense. And, I mean, it was impressive to watch as a Kentucky kid. There's a a little piece of me as I'm standing in the student section that's like, this is really impressive while we are just absolutely getting blown out. (laughs) What was your your favorite Lorenzen nickname? Oh, the hefty lefty is the one that always sticks, you know. like that. Okay. (laughs) My my favorite was the Pillsbury throw boy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that dude was impressive to watch okay so i'm gonna i gotta preface this i had a a unique benefit in college so at mississippi state i got just done as dumb luck would have it uh, i got to work for the women's team so i got access to for the women's basketball team mm-hmm. so i got access to all of the sports facilities and everything so like i got i got to be in the places that you weren't supposed to be and like see uh you know see these people up close and like i said like lorenzen was oh my god uh he was a man amongst boys like big big dude um but that was so that was really cool to to get to see some of those people because like i was a good high school basketball player and i played a little bit Uh, i played at a private college in tennessee but to be in in the like training rooms and stuff with dudes on the men's team. They were like seven, seven, one and seven, two. I, mm-hmm. I'm six, five. And they made me feel small. <laughs> One of the guys, Wesley, he would always come and stand right behind me. And he was real quiet. And I'd turn around and like, I'm looking at him in the chest. I'm like, I'm not short. And I'm looking at this dude, and I'm like, dude, go away. You're terrifying. Um, but you know, so that was really cool was to get to be, to be in there and see those guys. Like, I think that's something that people don't understand when they watch them on TV. Like, mm-hmm. you see these, especially the basketball players, like you see them on TV and they look like they're normal size. And then if you actually meet them in person, they, these college football and basketball players are, they are on like a different body type than the rest of the planet. Yeah. The, the, There's the, a, the men's team, the men's basketball team had to do Shane Powers. Uh, and, he was my height and on TV when you said like, I'm a skinny dude. I'm, I'm about a 190, 195. When you saw him on TV, he looked like me. Like he just looked like a regular skinny dude. When I stood mm-hmm. there next to him, like we, we were, we could stand there eye to eye. His arms were like that. And it's like, good God. He is just like jacked. But if you see those guys on TV, they just look like these little scrawny dudes. So when somebody is on TV, like you see this athlete on TV and it's like, Man, that guy is huge. I'm like, I bet if you meet him, he's like the real life version of the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> it's there's a I there's a story I like to tell that uh, when I was out in East Tennessee, I, I went into a, a sports bar one time, and uh, Jamal Lewis was there. So Jamal Lewis was a running back uh, 
when when UT last won their title in the late 90s, they had Jamal Lewis and Travis Henry. Jamal Lewis went on to play for the Browns and had a bunch of had some good seasons in the NFL and stuff. And and so it was a very similar situation there where you see this guy, he's just wearing a t-shirt, you know, and shorts and he's up at the bar or whatever and you know, you're looking at his arm and him not flexing. I mean, his arm is this big, right? And I remember I had a buddy with me and my buddy actually said in earshot of Jamal how does a guy like that ever fumble? And the answer is, is because guys even bigger than him are swatting at the football. That's how guys like him ever fumble. And so one of the things, it's funny, you're, you're talking about like people who just watch these things on TV versus seeing it in real life. Is that like going back to football, there's two a couple of things people have no idea based on watching because on tv like you know how there's kind of like the whole forced perspective of you're seeing it from the side and you're looking like at an angle over the top of the players of like 45 degrees to the right is that for one a football field's bigger than you think if you could look if you were looking down the field as opposed to beside the field you'd realize the gaps are huge those linemen are actually covering a lot of space you don't realize uh, and, and so when you're like, when a running back can't find a hole and they get bottled up you and you're like, oh, there's no room. Well, that at the, at the snap, there was room. They closed that room up because that's what the defensive line job is. But that's the first thing. But the second thing is, is that on the other side of that token, one of my favorite plays of all time in all of football, and this is something you can look up on YouTube if you've never seen it and your fans can, your audience can do this too. Um, and Larry Allen, the old offensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys, who is fabled to be perhaps the strongest man who have ever played because of his like 700-pound bench press and all that stuff. When Larry Allen was a rookie, uh, Troy, they were playing the New Orleans Saints. And Troy Aikman threw a ball. It got tipped. It got intercepted by a fairly speedy Saints linebacker who was running down the sideline untouched. He got caught from behind 37 yards down the field by Larry Allen. Larry Allen is six foot seven, 352 pounds, and he caught this guy from behind with very little angle 40 yards down the field. Can you imagine how terrifying it is to realize that a man that size is also way faster than you? That's like, I think there is, <clears throat> I think there's, such a huge disconnect between the average sports fan mm -hmm. of what they think about a an athlete versus the reality of that athlete. Mm -hmm. Like when I was in high school, I could stick my elbow in the rim. I could jump. But that required some effort. Like I was jumping to get that high. Mm -hmm. You watch some of these guys and they do stuff like that with ease. Like that's just naturally how high they jump and and they don't even put any thought into it like you, you look at the the speed that those guys run the speed like okay if a, a lineman is 6'4 320 pounds and he runs a five second 40 people mm -hmm. are people think he's slow yes uh, you go run a five second 40 that's yes like a, my best was I was I ran a four five at best. Like usually I was about a four six, and like a five second forty is not like slow. That's that's 
That's I love one of my favorite things is to because now that we live in the modern era of smartphones and everything, and you can look up stats at a moment's notice. One of my favorite things to do is if you're watching football with just just a casual group of friends or out at a bar or whatever, and you know there's a fumble and one of the big boys picks it up, right? And so now you've got this lumbering halt going down the field, and and he gets tackled from behind like five seconds later or whatever, and everyone's laughing because oh look at that big slow idiot running with the ball, and I always say that big slow idiot would blow you out in the 100 meters would blow you out every time in the 100 meters you have no idea what you're talking about because you're seeing how slow he is compared to like randy moss he's slow if you were on that field you would look like a hobbit and you would barely look like you're moving (laughs) (laughs) and and like people don't get that Uh, it's i don't know it's crazy it's crazy as somebody that played and as somebody that spent a lot of time in locker rooms and in, in training rooms and on the court with those people. Cause even when I went to, so I started out in Mississippi state and worked for the women's team there, which was just complete dumb luck. Uh, like a lady from home uh, was the house mother for the Kyle Omega sorority at Mississippi mm-hmm. state. So I was told when you get there, Go knock on this sorority house's door, ask for this lady, and tell her who you are, and she'll give you a job. All right. So that's fucking intimidating in and of itself. Because <laughs> I got to go knock on this, because ju- they've got like plantation style giant, you know, mm-hmm. Greek houses. So I got to go knock on this door. And then a couple of chicks answered the door, uh, which I was, I should have mentally been ready for it. But I guess you, as a 18 uh, year old, you're just never really ready for that. And then this lady gives me a job. And then a few weeks later, she has the, uh, we served meals and stuff. Like we were basically servants, which was fun. Uh, we got free meals. So it was cool. Um, but they had this big thing and the, the head women's basketball coach came for dinner. And then afterwards I chaperoned them around and drove them over or all through campus to go meet with other uh, Greek houses and stuff to kind of promote mm-hmm. the women's basketball team and the season that they were going to have is that they ended up being top 10 in the nation that year and had the, had a top five score and like they had a really good women's basketball team. But, uh, so as I drove them around, the coach was just talking to me and asking me questions and stuff. And at the end of the night, she said, would you want to come work for the team? Like, okay, that sounds great. So, so I just like dumb lucked my way into working for the women's basketball team. And then I left and went and played for a year, took some time off. And then when I went back to Murray to, to finish up, I dumb lucked my way into working for Murray's women's team too. So, so <laughs> I got to, I got to spend pretty much all of my collegiate career in and around, you know, athletes and basketball, you know, those, the sports programs, which was a lot of fun. And like, you get to see things from a, a whole different perspective when, and then when you mm-hmm. get to, you know, when you watch the sports and you kind of know what all goes into it, it's really cool. What talking about, you're talking about working for the women's program and it, it, it just, it was just making me think as you were telling the story about how one of the things that makes college sports in general, so unique and revered, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's an SEC thing more than other parts of the country. I don't know, but 
if you if you reach that legendary status of success or consistency and especially in certain college towns i mean you're literally a god amongst people you know like i the the you were talking about the women's team maybe you know the late great pat summit uh, coach of the ut women's basketball team you know of course pat's no longer with us but if she had run for governor, she would have won like 98% of the vote. <laughs> I mean, you're just, it would have been absolutely, it, it wouldn't have even mattered what her positions were. It had been totally irrelevant what her politics were because people loved that woman. And of course, obviously, I mean, let's not, let's not get too ahead of ourselves here. You know, being a winner certainly goes a long way <laughs> towards people loving you in sports. But I mean, it's the same thing with Peyton Manning. I mean, not, you know, the naysayers can always say, well, they won the title the year after he graduated. You know, they never were able to put it together when he was there. And I was like that, and that might be true, although there's other reasons than just the one guy. But with that said, uh, Peyton, you know, a lot of people, because UT's been so bad for so long, a lot of people wish Peyton would get into coaching. You know, he's got that great mind for football. They wish he would coach, even if it was just to coach quarterbacks. They wish he would coach. They wish he'd come back to UT and save the program. And Peyton himself has has gone on the record and said, it's not that he's never thought about it, not that he would just assume that he'd get the job because he's a little bit too humble for that. But he said, it's not that he's never thought about going into coaching and, that, and not that he doesn't love UT. But he's told people multiple times in interviews, and this is almost a verbatim quote, I feel like there's only one way to, well, there's only one way for me in Knoxville and it's down. I mean, they revere him as a god walking on earth in Knoxville, Tennessee, or in, in, in Tennessee in general. Why would he do want to do anything that could possibly besmirch his reputation in that world? Right. I mean, short of coming in. And they're just being a miraculous glow that comes over the entire team. And they all suddenly become mm -hmm. five-star player caliber player. Yeah. And then they win national championships from that point until he dies. He can only disappoint. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's only one way to go from there and it's down. Uh, so I, you know, I, that's something I'd never see necessarily happening in the future. Um, but I, but I will say this, um, since I since I know you, we kind of started this off with the UT UK thing. Uh, the Tennessee Kentucky game this year might be an interesting game. You know, there's there's been lots of years where it wasn't an interesting game because one team was way better than another, and then there's been years where maybe it was an interesting game because it didn't really have any stakes on it. You know, there wasn't really any bowl participation or anything like that up in the air. Uh, but this year. This year is a year where it, it might actually be a game that I mean, not, neither of those teams are going to win the SEC or anything, but they might be looking at, you know, getting a sixth win, you know, bowl rankings, that's that sort of thing. And just generally being closer in terms of of skill and, and all that stuff. So this is this is one of those. I mean, one out of 10. I mean, in my lifetime, a one out of 10 year situation where UT UK games actually actually an exciting game yeah they're, they both they both seem to have comparable talent levels and and like they it it has the potential to be a really good game and that's i mean that is really mm -hmm. cool yeah um, see it that it was funny right before we started today i watched the ut missouri game and ut ended up winning by a lot which was kind of a surprise um i did not bet on that game this week 
I've I've made the majority of my money over the last few years in 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 betting on football, betting against UT. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm perfectly content to tell you that. Um, but I did not bet on this game because it went at at game time. It was Missouri minus three, and so since it was at Missouri, that's basically a toss up. You know, that's I mean, that's who knows if you if you had told me, hey, Alan, just check the score. Missouri won by 30. I'd have been like totally not surprised. UT sucks. If you had said, oh, UT lost a heartbreaker because they have no depth and they lost it in the fourth quarter. Totally not surprised if but vice versa, if they win by 30, I'm I'm, I'm sort of kind of not even surprised by that either, because you're just talking about two relatively bottom tier teams right now where there's just no consistency, no depth on anywhere on the football field. So really, it's just a complete toss up. But I will say this. Part of me is actually kind of sad that UT won so convincingly or won at all. And I'll tell you exactly why. If UT had lost today, especially if they had lost bad to Missouri, then UT would be favored to lose basically every game the rest of this year except for homecoming and Vanderbilt. And which means that basically their season's over. They're not going to get six wins. There's really no even point in hoping for it. Just move on. And I would just, I would mentally check out. But now that they've won the damn game, I'm sitting here thinking, well, shit, the season's got to continue after all. So now we're on to South Carolina. I, I actually kind of think South Carolina will beat UT next week, but on, on the crazy chance that UT wins, this is the funny thing about rabid sports fan bases. If if UT had lost today, everyone would want Hypo to be fired. Even though he just started, and it's totally not his fault, everyone would want him fired. Now that they won by this much, everyone just assumes they're going to kill South Carolina next week. There's no in-between. You can't think that, well, Heupel's a decent coach, but they need some time to develop. You can't think that. They either have to win convincingly or fire the man. And that's and so since they won convincingly, they're already on to win convincingly next week or else. I, 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 I'm not that way. I'm just saying I know UT fans, all right? I know how their brains work, and I'm telling you, that's what they're thinking right this minute. Isn't sports fandom weird in that way? Like, <laughs> as, a, as a huge basketball guy, I would watch the NBA Finals, and as just a, especially, like, I'm a, I was always a big Spurs fan. I loved David Robinson. He was, like, my idol, and then they had Tim Duncan come along behind him. We're getting off college sports completely but i was a huge spurs fan and so mm-hmm. you know every other year the spurs would go to the to the finals there for a while but on the years that they weren't there i was just an objective basketball fan watching the games and sure. you know if you watched espn the day after the game whichever team won it was like oh this is they did all of this and they're just going to sweep the they're going to sweep the rest of the games and they're going to take the series easily and it's like were you even watching the same fucking game that i was because like that that wasn't you know, every game kind of plays out and it has its ebbs and flows and every series plays out with its ebbs and flows. And like as an objective fan that's just watching, which is what, you know, I would expect from ESPN or any analyst, just like watch the game and kind of see how it goes. And like, there's a, there's a break here and a break there that could have gone either, you know, it's the Mm -hmm. the 50, 50 balls are always the ones that kind of determine which, which direction football, basketball, baseball, anything goes. And like, you can see that, yeah, it wasn't that, you know, every once in a while you have that just like commanding blow the doors off of them. But usually every game has four or five moments that kind of mm-hmm. determine which way it goes. And then all of fandom just like goes nuts. And that's it. That's it. This team is going to sweep the rest of the series. It's like, maybe you should watch the next game and see how those 50 yep. balls play out. You know, it's, it, 
fan, well, sports fandom is insane the way people just take off on one direction without even objectively thinking about anything a couple of my biggest pet peeves about just like the casual sports fan in general is th so the opposite end of what you're talking about is people that'll say like uh, Arkansas played Georgia today. Georgia won like 37 and it was bad. Arkansas got skunked. But Arkansas, again, this is a team that two years ago went 0 and 8 in the SEC and they started this year like 4 and 0 or something. I mean, that's, that's a, that's an amazing turnaround. I saw people today saying, ha ha, Arkansas sucks. And I was like, they suck? They suck now. They suck because they lost one bad game after years of depravity but and so they drop to four and one that means they suck <laughs> i don't know if you're using that like okay like utep sucks they're like owing a billion over their last billion games they suck arkansas at four and one does not suck because they just lost to the number two team in the country that means they lost that doesn't mean they suck and it's even worse in pro sports another one of my big pet peeves is is some like when the Cavs didn't have LeBron James, and so obviously they go way downhill, and they would play a game, and it would be a relatively tight one, but they'd go on to lose late in the late in the second half, and people would say, "Well, they just don't have they just don't have any talent on the floor." And I say, "They don't have any talent. This professional basketball team doesn't have any talent on the floor. It's amazing they were even in the game then. How about that? I wish I wish me and Justin and a few other guys could keep it that close." With all of our no talent on the court, um, um, unbelievable. If anything, you should give that guy a raise because they have no professional basketball. Oh, wait, they do. They actually have a whole roster of professional basketball players. It's, it's, it's even worse. I mean, at least in basketball, it is true that when it, you know, it's five on five and a few really amazing all-star level players can make the difference. But, it, you know, in a bigger team sport like football, you know, sometimes you'll like the Bengals have been bad for a long time. And people say that, you know, the talent is just not there for the Bengals. Like the Bengals, I promise you, have 53 professional football players on their roster. I'm not sure if talent is the issue so much of it is. They're a trash organization and have been for decades. Yeah, there's a, a almost a 100 percent chance that every single one of those guys could go get a job on another professional football team immediately. Mm -hmm. Like if the Bengals just ended, every one of those guys would probably go get a job. Like it's not it's not like yes. they don't have professional football players. They just don't have the organizational structure to bring those to players together in the way that they need to be. You know, that's well, yeah, that's, that's it's it goes to show both in professional and in college. Obviously, teams have ups and downs. That obviously goes without saying. But over the long term, teams that are good tend to always be good, and teams that are bad tend to always be bad, or at least tend to be good slash bad in long stretches. And it just it can't it can't be because, oh, well, the Browns just don't have any good players. You mean to tell me in 40 years they couldn't get a good player? That's amazing, y'all. I don't I don't think anyone's been that unlucky. Or Detroit Lions, same thing. It might just be that they have terrible management and ownership because they're the only ones who have been there for the whole time. Very, very true. Yeah. And that's, and, and like, like you can look at it, uh, like with the Browns example, like, yeah, they had a pretty bad track record of drafting a bad quarterback, like literally mm -hmm. every year. But those were like, those were still top five, top 10 draft picks. Like, they were top flight, upper echelon, collegiate athletes. 
So were they really bad quarterbacks or was it the system that they were put in? Was it the coaching? Was it the organization? Like if those mm-hmm. same quarterbacks had gone to a Green Bay Packers or, you know, a Dallas Cowboys or somewhere that actually had good organizational structure, what might their careers have looked like? You know, cause at the end of the day, like those guys were, there was a reason that they were considered a top five draft pick. Like it's, well, it's not because they sucked and didn't have any talent. <laughs> The perfect example this very season is you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, the Jaguars suck. Of course, keep in mind, the Jaguars were like a play away from the Super Bowl a few years ago against New England. Remember that? So, I mean, funny how things work out like that. Uh, And they've cleaned house since. But the Jaguars are terrible. And they bring in, of course, they get Trevor Lawrence, who had a fantastic collegiate career. Again, I've seen people saying, look how bad he started. Ha ha, Lawrence sucks. He sucks now. This guy who went to the playoffs or won the natty every year, he sucks, Justin. I didn't know that. But but anyway. Right. uh, Might be one of the best college football quarterbacks that we've watched in the last decade. But yeah, now he just sucks. But, But they bring in Urban Meyer as the head coach. And you want to talk about organization and management and coaching and stuff like that. Obviously, Urban had a successful college coaching career, but everyone knows college and pro is different. You had veterans on the Jaguars team making statements to the press in back all the way. I mean, it is as recently as the preseason of this very year saying our locker room is an absolute clown fiesta and it starts at the top. And I'm like, damn. You want to talk about a scathing indictment of Urban Meyer no sooner than like his seat's already warm in Jacksonville and he just got there. But then again, you know, kind of this kind of circles back to where we started today with giving people time versus just firing them the next day. On the one hand, he just got there and Trevor's a rookie and it's going to take time. On the other hand, you've got you've still got some guys in that locker room who have been in the league 5, 10, 15 years and they're saying, I know what a professional football team looks like. This isn't one. I don't know, man. There's something to that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's an interesting dynamic of things. Um, being with different sports or, you know, different programs and seeing the way they are and mm-hmm. different coaches and seeing coaches change over time and stuff like that. Like a, a program can have – a coach one year and a different coach the next year and it'd be night and day even though all of the players on the team for the most part stay the same it's not the same organization anymore uh, and there's there's a lot to be said for that and that the way that the way that locker room is handled the way mm-hmm. the coaches kind of talk to and treat their players the way all of that goes it can it can be a a huge difference between are you successful and are you not are you fighting for those 50-50 balls and getting more of them or are you just letting them go? Are you, you know, are you taking care of your teammates and looking out for each other or are you just like let's go play and then fuck off after this? Like we're not we're not really invested in it. So there, you know, the the culture and the way it goes is it plays a lot more into it than I think the average sports fan would really realize. Well, you look at like the biggest black mark against Tom Brady is is in a time when he wasn't even on the field. You know, in the height of the Patriots dynasty, he blew out his knee and they still went 11 and 5. 
He blew out his knee in the first game, mind you, not like halfway through the season. They went eleven and five. That's a well-oiled fucking machine, right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who can lose right now? You look at you look at this this year's NFL right this second. All thirty-two teams. How many of those teams go eleven and five if their starting quarterback is out for the year? I mean, look at the. I, I would say the, the easy answer is zero. Yeah, uh, to me, the, the easy answer. A few years ago, like even as yep. good of an organization as the Packers is, when Aaron Rodgers yep. got hurt. Like, that was it. The season's done. Like you, you already know we're not going anywhere. Look at look at the Colts when Andrew looks at. I'm tired of getting hit. I'm done. And yeah. it was just holy cow. <laughs> right, they were a perennial playoff team to bottom of the league. Instantly. You look at the well. Look at the Colts when uh, Peyton tweaked his neck. Holy cow. <laughs> I, and if anything, I, I don't. I don't want to like we'd ha- we'd have to do a whole other episode just on Manning versus Brady. But to me. Like my two biggest data points are eleven and five without Brady versus like one and fifteen without Manning. Tell me which organization is better, the Colts or the Patriots? Come freaking on! It's not even it's not even in the stratosphere of the same level of organization. And really, that comes down to kind of the the top down that you were talking about because yep. it's Jim Ursay versus you know. Uh, Robert, whatever is Robert Kraft, yeah. Kraft. I don't. I kept wanting to say Branch, and I knew Branch wasn't right. Yeah, Robert Kraft. Like the way that they run their organization, Ursay is very hands-on. Very, I mean, he's very eccentric, and he's a he's a dude for sure. And those are those are all polite ways of saying alcoholic. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kraft is not like the the biggest yeah. knock on Kraft is he went to a. Uh, uh, a massage, massage parlor, parlor yeah. with happy endings. Like, I mean, he's an old dude, you know. He, he probably needs some massages. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, and every organization is like that. I mean, the Browns, the Bengals, like it's. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and to to whatever extent it is, that's the way it is in college sports too. Uh, like. If you have a good athletic director and a good athletic program that is kind of, you had talked about Missouri because Missouri got uh, Tennessee beat the brakes off Missouri today. Missouri was an interesting team with them coming into the SEC because when they were in the Big mm-hmm. Twelve, they were always really competitive and they were they were even like considered potential national championship level team uh, for a couple years, and they weren't a bad team before they came to the SEC. Like, they had had a really good season, I think, the year before. Mm-hmm. And then they came into the SEC, and it was just like, they suck. And, I, like, I know Missouri well, sports don't suck, but obviously, like, even their basketball program, since they've come into mm-hmm. the SEC, hasn't been anything near what it was prior to that. Like, that that's a really weird one. Uh, Missouri was an interesting case. Of course, back in the day, they had those years there. What was it? Chase Daniels? Wasn't that the – Boy, I, I I remember weird random sports trivia, but anyway, you know they had some good years there where they were balling it out. And then when they when they very very first joined the SEC, they had a very brief charmed existence where Florida was down, UT was down, and so they they won a couple of SEC East. And they never won the SEC because they they could win the SEC East and then 
get murdered by LSU or Alabama or somebody. But they they came in at like that perfect little window. I mean, keep keep in mind this this is this is the same window of time where James Franklin's at Vanderbilt and even Vanderbilt's winning six seven games a year. You know, so I mean, it's just it was a different SEC, especially SEC East then than it is any time before or since. But you're right. Ever since then, it's been totally different. Um, I I had mentioned at the beginning of the show that you know. I've, as I and when I went off to school and then went into adult life, I became a big Boise State fan. And uh, Boise State, I tell you how it started. Of course, you know a lot of those West Coast games, uh, and especially at that time they were in the WAC, the Western Athletic. Um, and the the way that they would get on TV all the time was they would be playing on a Wednesday or a Thursday, or they'd be playing at eleven o'clock at night, you know. But and so, but that would but that was smart though because then that would get them on TV when normally a team from Idaho ain't going to be on TV. Right. Or they, and they like also 10 o'clock in the morning game or something like and, <laughs> and then they also played really exciting football. They, you know, lots of, lots of gadget, lots of trick plays, lots of, lots of motion at the line, lots of audibles. And you got just the blue this, field and just the, yep. the aesthetic of that. And I remember, I remember there was a few, few of the reasons why I really fell in love with them was one. If you, if you've ever been a fan who said, you know, we we need we need a triple reverse hook and ladder on this play. Why can't we do it? Well, you need to watch Boise State because, by God, they do some freaky stuff out there that you're a boring-ass team who just runs a draw on third and ten. You know, they would never do it. And the next thing is, is that you look into them as we're sitting here talking about organizations, right? Boise State's been good for a long time now. Boise State, Boise State wasn't even a D1 team 20 years ago. This happened fast. I mean, mo- all the blue bloods of college football today have been good for a hundred for a hundred years. It's fifty years at least. Boise State was like an, an what is an IA team or an NAIA team back when that was a thing. Uh, they were an NAIA team like in nineteen ninety seven, and they make the jump to D one. They join the WAC, and after like a half of one season of getting their brakes blown off by everybody who's got scholarship players and everything else. The next year they're like 10 and one and they win the whack, you know, and then they win the whack like eight years in a row. Like, I mean, this is literally the same thing as Vanderbilt being an academic school. They join the sec in like 77 and then in 79, they win the sec championship and beat Alabama. You'd be like, what the hell just happened here? That's what Boise state did out there. And then they they go to a few bowl games. They lose a couple of bowl games. They're like, ah, well, you know, they made a bowl game. You're supposed to just be happy they make a bowl game, right? Then all of a sudden they start to get not amazing talent, but guys who went on to play in the NFL. They were they were a team that would bring in two star players that would be four star players when they left, and they would also be a team that because they were so successful, other teams constantly wanted to poach their head coach. Uh, bring you know, their Colorado got one of their coaches. Of course, Washington obviously got Peterson and different, and, and there was a couple before that. Um, a homeboy who's at Liberty now, uh, Hugh Freeze, he actually got an early start at Boise State. And yet, 
you look at like UT, who they've been through so many coaches now, have not been able to rekindle the fire. And every single time they're out a guy, they're looking for a whole new regime somewhere else in the country. Let's go to California and bring some guy in to coach in Knoxville. Boise State just promotes the next guy up from inside house. And you know what? They're just as good next year. That right there is an amazing athletic program. That is like that is in the fantasy world. That's how it used to always be done. If your coach retires or quits or moves on, you just promote the coordinator because let's keep everything in place. We've got our system. We're happy with the way we play football. They've been playing pretty much the same football ever since they were an NAIA team. And then, of course, obviously, you fast forward a few years, they have that all-time great game against Oklahoma, you know, in the in the Fiesta Bowl. But then they, I mean, in the time since UT won the national championship and has never reached that height again, they've had a couple of big bowl games in the early 2000s. After that, they never went back to anything like that again. Boise State's won like four major, uh, what used to be BCS bowl games, you know, major bowl games now since that time. Um. Man, what's what's not to love about a team that, you know, the best they can do is bring in these grade 50, grade 60, two and a half star guys, and then they just blow everybody off the field. And I'll, I'll, I'll say one last point about Boise State, why I love them so much. I've watched games on ESPN where they'll do their little thing, you know, they'll line up and they'll always do that thing where they immediately split out, immediately bring back in, immediately shift formations. And as soon as the defense is confused, then they snipe the ball. And the and the announcers would always say, man, you got to be careful playing against that Boise State. They always do this crazy motion. You never know what's going to happen next. And I remember thinking, why doesn't your team do that? Why is it why is it that Boise State with all their one and two star players can manage to pull off that system without getting a false start or a illegal formation every down? But your team with all four and five stars can't do it. You brought up something really interesting with. And, you know, it's an organizational thing. But with Boise, they would get there, like they would have coaches just get picked off. And mm-hmm. it's not like they were missing a beat. Like <clears throat> like some programs, if, if they lose their coach, then suddenly they're nothing now. Uh, like mm-hmm. like Florida, when, when Spurrier left, they went through some down years because that was kind of their identity. Whereas Boise mm-hmm. State, like Boise is their identity. And that was yeah. that was something that was really fun with being at Murray State uh, for the last part of my collegiate career was I got to be there at the at the end of Mick Cronin before mm-hmm. Mick went to Cincinnati. And Mick mm-hmm. was a really, really good coach. And then they and then Billy Kennedy came in next and Kennedy ended up leaving to go to Texas AM where he's been extremely successful. And then they replaced him with uh Prom who was one of his assistants. And Prom was a really great guy. And he's gone on to Iowa State, or I think it's Iowa State, and been wildly successful there. Like, Murray State's basketball team is good every year. Like, they are – they compete for the OVC championship every year. They you know, they have had a few different uh, SC, or, uh, national champion or NCAA tournament runs where they'll win a game or two, uh, made it mm-hmm. to the Sweet 16 with – uh, a couple of years, a few years ago, you know, like as a yeah, with as a that, program, they just they just keep turning over. Like the next, it's next guy up, next guy up, and the next guy mm-hmm. is always a good fit. And like that, I don't in my lifetime, I can't think of any times where they've really had a big gap where the the team wasn't good. Yeah, well, it, 
I mean, there you go. Look at UT. I mean, they basically, of course, I mean, UT is in like 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, they were running like the wing T and barely threw the ball. And that was old school football. Um, and then you go into the, like the 80s and the early 90s. They had John, they brought it back in Johnny Majors. And it was just classic SEC football. Your quarterback needed to be a pure pocket passer. They could be a statue in the in the backfield because it didn't matter because your offensive line were going to be juggernauts. Your your team revolved around line play. You were going to pound the rock when you needed to. The quarterback just made throws on play action only when he needed to, and you would just dominate the line of scrimmage, and you would beat 90% of your competition because they could not put men on the field big enough to stop what you imposing your will. And they did that for – and then even when moving on from majors to Fulmer. I mean – that was what UT did. It there was even when they had someone like a Peyton Manning at quarterback. Like, don't get me wrong, who doesn't want to have Peyton Manning as the next guy up, uh, you know, under center? But it's not that it didn't matter. It absolutely did matter. It brought them from a competitive SEC team to you know top of the ladder SEC team. But even then, it still revolved around. There was a there was a, there was years between ninety seven and ninety nine, so the very end of Peyton Manning to the to the very end of their little title window there, where every single member of their offensive and defensive lines played in the NFL. You're talking about you've had that experience talking about being around guys that are that are just uh, it's it's a saying that they say in the MMA world that there's levels to this, like the 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 biggest strongest fastest dude who played for your local high school is a is a slow midget <laughs> compared to like a scholarship D1 five star recruit and that guy could potentially be a slow midget compared to an NFL player so if you so it's always interesting like this is something this is something only a hardcore like sports history buff would do is think of a team that was one of your favorite teams to watch in 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 college from 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago, go back and look up the roster and see how many of those guys play in the NFL. And then when you realize it's like 15, you're like, they basically filled in an NFL team <laughs> and they, and then they played, you know, Vandy and then they won by 60. And so all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I get it now. They, they beat them because they were good. It's not that it, it's not that it has to be more complicated than that, but they also beat them because they had 15 professional athletes on the field at that day when the other team had Bob from the economics department, you know, on the field that day. And Bob may have played his heart out, but I mean, let's be real. So there was a period of time there where UT did not play glitzy football. It was just run first, throw off play action, dominate the line of scrimmage. And they did that for like 30 years. And, you know, their, their second string left tackle would be a 15 year starter in the NFL. They ain't got that today. It doesn't matter. It like I said, it wouldn't matter if they hired Saban tomorrow. Their their third string left tackle ain't playing on Sundays. So that's one big reason why they're not winning. Mississippi State after they got rid of Jackie Sherrill, uh, they went to Sylvester Croom. And Croom was like mm-hmm. an old school offensive lineman type. And I mean, they ran that dirty ground and pound type football. And it wasn't flashy, it wasn't glitzy, they didn't they didn't win a whole bunch of games, but they won enough games. They made, you know, they got to go to bowls every year and, mm-hmm. and then they moved on from Kroom. And I, I'm glad that they went to Mullen because he was really good and he ended up turning the program into something really awesome there for a few years. But when they first went away from it, it was like, man, he might not be great, 
But after watching Jackie Sherrill for his last two or three years just run the program into the fucking ground, and then yep. to have Kroon come in with a just a solid approach to the game and to just mm-hmm. pound it out, play good football, and get the W's that you're supposed to get. Like, I was a happy fan there for a while, and I, I was I was a little bit skeptical. I'm glad Mullen, like, really, really made it into sort of what the program has become, and, and hopefully they can – uh, find some consistency with this new coach and everything, but yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of a fan of that that down and dirty, ground and pound, just slug it out type football. I I miss I miss watching that kind of football because that's like, that stuff is. I think that's a lot more fun than the you know the air raid football that we get. I from, I, I I you know it's funny. I I didn't know if our conversation would turn to this point, but I. I've almost gotten to the point where I can barely enjoy the NFL and it's not, and there's plenty of reasons to, to not like the NFL because of all the army hoorah army stuff, the social justice stuff, the politics on every commercial. Like, look, there's plenty of reasons to not like the NFL because of that, but I can stomach that because I love football. What I can't stand is you can't play defense. You can't hit anybody. Um, the referees, Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> like I, I know, I think you saw, I made the tweet the other day cause I was watching on Thursday night, I was watching the Jacksonville Cincinnati game and there was some just absolute head scratchers in, in that game, which no, like no one in the country outside of Cincinnati and Jacksonville gave a damn about the outcome of that game. Let's be honest. But still there was some, I was like, these guys are referees for professional football games. If this podcast thing doesn't work out, you and I should go to the school to be referees because it doesn't matter how you you can absolutely suck at your job and it matters not one iota the kind of calls he's so not only are the actual just run up and down the field and watch the game and don't blow the whistle once and what's the worst that can happen? (laughs) I mean, not only are they the referees just genuinely awful at their job, but the games that they are being instructed to call are bad. The, the new taunting penalties now. If a running back get, does a hard run and gets up and, and flexes his arms, that's a 15-yard taunting penalty. And the, and the no-hitting, like I understand trying to, trying to manage the, the tradition of the sport versus the safety of the players. I'm not one of these people who's like, you know, just bleed. I'm not one of, I'm not one of those people. I swear I'm not. But with that said, it's like you're, you're adding a whole lot of subjectivity to the game. So if you're a, and especially for the defense, if in talking about hating the air raids and everything, if you're a defender and this helmet, which again, people who've never played football don't get this for one helmets are kind of big and you don't exactly have great vision when you're like, you're pretty much always looking dead ahead. This is why if a ball gets tipped, everyone yells tip because no one can see the damn ball because everyone's wearing a helmet or a visor, you know, a little sunglass thing or whatever. Right. And you're, I mean, your vision from here up is for shit. Like, I mean, that's if, like people, if you're, people who've never played or wore a helmet don't understand how like restrictive that is on yes, your, on yes. Like, everything and, about the way that your, your brain is designed yes. to absorb the world around you. Now it's being yes. run through this giant muffle, muffler that's fucking it all yes. up. So, and then especially for de- defensive backs, so linebackers, safeties, corners, how many plays can you run where your helmet doesn't touch someone? That's what the helmet's for, and they touch all the time. So you could get flagged for 
leading with the helmet or helmet contact almost on every play, kind of like kind of like old school. The whole the the complaints about holding is there's holding on every play. It's just a matter of if you feel like calling it or not. And then, but of course, keep in mind the running back who's coming at you lowers his head and hits you every single play. They never get called for leading the helmet because that only applies to defensive backs. It doesn't apply to him. So when you're when you're gonna make these rules claim it's for safety but then some of them a be kind of boneheaded and, and at a minimum not be called evenly that just degrades the game it just degrades the game to the point where hardcore old school football fans like me think more and more that they make these decisions catering to and, and like i said i understand the safety aspect of it but a lot of the decisions they make are catering to a wider audience they're catering to people who watch three football games a year or the Super Bowl, and that's it. And they're not catering to you and me. And and how how much can they degrade the whole game of football in search of you know the pop culture audience until the football audience doesn't really care for it anymore? For me, I'm kind of like I'm really close to already there. That's I I haven't watched very religiously for at least the last two to three years. Uh, I took, I took the group of high school boys that I coached to, to watch Murray play in the OVC tournament here in Evansville uh, mm-hmm. in 2019. And I really haven't paid a whole lot of attention to sports since that, that game. Uh, mm-hmm. Murray won the championship, went on to win a couple games in the NCAA tournament. And then after the NCAA tournament, I just kind of checked out and yeah, I don't know if it was. I don't really know why. I don't have a good explanation. I just kind of hit a point where, when the football season started in 2019, I just wasn't. In, I just wasn't feeling it. And for whatever reason, it wasn't something that struck me as important at that point. And, <clears throat> and like I wasn't even doing this kind of stuff or anything. I just, I just did, it didn't matter mm-hmm. at that point uh, for some reason. I have no good explanation why I stopped being a, a, a real avid fan at that point. It just kind of, just kind of fell by the wayside for me. And I, I've, I've kind of gotten a little bit more back into it. Our fantasy football leagues have been a little more invigorating this year. So I'm kind of getting, getting ramped up uh, to some extent. Uh, but yeah, I, I just kind of hit a point where watching wasn't as fun and it, and maybe it's because, I was a wide receiver and a safety in the late nineties and early two thousands where you could actually hit people. And like, as a receiver, I expected mm-hmm. that I was going to get blown up every time I touched the ball. Like I, I expected that the DB was probably going to be smacking my hands and trying to make sure that I didn't have the opportunity to catch the ball. And if I did catch the ball, I'm about to die. And like, and that was the way the game was. And that's, I mean, it's, it's that gladiator type sport. Like that's the way it's supposed to be. And now they've kind of bastardized it where like they're turning it into fucking flag football. And I don't, I mean, I'm a tall skinny kid. When I was in high school, I weighed 160 pounds. I am like, I was not built for football. I loved it. And, you know, getting hit and hitting people like that is the game. And they're, they're taking away the things that make the game really well, good. And, and basketball is doing the same thing with rule changes. Yeah. And stuff. Like, 
I was just about to say, I know that you're you being a big basketball guy is that like I, I, I literally roll on the floor laughing whenever I'm watching first take or something. And they're talking about, you know, like like, look, I'm not one of these people. Again, I was making fun of people who say somebody sucks earlier. No, LeBron James doesn't suck. He far from sucks. But everyone is on this guy's knob and they act like Larry Bird couldn't play basketball. And I'm like, dude, when not first of all, not only was Larry Bird good and like for me to even have to make that claim shouldn't shouldn't be difficult to do. But he played that was still in an era where, oh, you're going to drive to the bat. You're going to go for a rebound. You should just assume you're getting an elbow into the kidney. Like, that's just how it is. And, And if to the kidney, if you're lucky, it might be to the dome. And that's just that's just ball. I mean, you see some of those old games between like the the uh, um, the it's Celtics and Detroit. The yeah, yeah. Detroit. Any, like any holy, game that the Pistons played in. <laughs> they were playing a physical brand of basketball that you can't even do in football today, much less in basketball. Yeah. So you all I'm those, so- like, you watch some of those like highlight videos that have like yeah. early '90s basketball games, and these dudes are straight. I mean, it looks like a fucking MMA fight. And yeah. some of those aren't even foul calls. Like the only reason that the, the play stopped is because it broke out into an all-out fist fight. Like the what what would this in these days be called a foul? That wasn't even a foul call. Like the whole re- they, they didn't they didn't stop yep. play for a foul. They stopped play because three people started punching each other in the face. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like I've never I've never been as big of a basketball person as as I am football by a large margin. But yet, dude, dude, the the 80s, especially late 80s into early 90s NBA, that was the shit. That was amazing basketball. Like, people have no, like, a lot of people, especially people maybe even our age and up, like, they basically, basketball started with Michael Jordan and goes up from there. And it's like, first of all, even Michael Jordan would tell you that he wishes he was 10 years older. Because there was some serious basketball going on. Like, he came in right at the end of that. He was a young man when those guys were coming down from the mountaintop, you know. And by the time Jordan retired at the end of the last three-peat, that that style of basketball was extinct by then. It was gone. Um, And so, you know, again— They hated the Spurs when they had their championship runs because they played that old school, pounded out, play good defense Mm -hmm. like and which was part of why i love them as a as a team so much Mm -hmm. but like that was why nobody liked them because they weren't they weren't fun but man that like they harken back to an era of basketball where basketball was played like to the purity of the game not this run and gun yeah yeah well the spurs sounded like a boomer but well, no, you're not because the Spurs, like I remember growing up during that era when the Spurs were winning all the all their titles and people, yeah, people, everyone who wasn't a Spurs fan hated the Spurs because they thought it they thought it was bad basketball because their idea of basketball was not that. And and I used like I wasn't even a Spurs fan. I used to just tell people, man, you're right. They're they're awful. So you should just beat them then. Right. Like- that was my attitude. They yeah, they suck. You should beat them. I think. And if you can't, well, that says something about you. I don't know. I just, but you know, then again, on the other side, like I, if there's, if, if there's any cautious optimism here, it's that historically things are always cyclical. 
And even though we're sitting here today saying, man, I kind of don't like the direction the NBA is going. I kind of don't like the direction the NFL is going. But, you know, the sports evolve over time. And sometimes they have like renaissance where they rediscover old things and make them new again. So I'm kind of... Like in the NFL, for instance, God knows the rules are made for the air raid. It, every every rule is pro-offense, anti-defense. Um, but I actually heard a coach, I think it was actually old Wade Phillips, um, who used to coach Cowboys and was defensive coordinator at Broncos when Peyton was there and all that. Is He had a really, really good take on this, and I, and I, really, I really think it's um, important, which was it's true that the league has gone the direction that it's in. But of course, he's an old man. He's like, but I've been around long enough to know that it won't stay this way. And the way I know this is, is if if every team is throwing for 400 yards a game, then all the best athletes and all the highest recruiters will be recruiting corners and safeties. Because those will be premium jobs to counteract and and and, and edge rushers to counteract that style of football. And then when all those guys get shut down, what will the other guys do? They'll start recruiting interior linemen and running backs. And then it'll it'll flip over again. And I kind of thought, you know what? Actually, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm sort of kind of like waiting to see it. You know, I said earlier, I'm not a huge Titans fan, but I mean, who who wouldn't want to have Derrick Henry on their team? And and like the the Wildcat offense was a popular thing for a few years and having a you know a running quarterback was kind of a thing and and there have always Mm -hmm. been times throughout the history of football where you've had that one quarterback that could really run the ball Mm -hmm. but it's always kind of a niche thing and and it eventually plays itself out and that's hopefully that's the way the rest of this kind of works out is because you know we went through that a few years ago I mean Lamar Jackson and uh Mm -hmm. shoot anyway Lamar Jackson Michael coming out of the Michael Vick era, there were several quarterbacks throughout that time, you know, throughout that range that it seemed like that was going to be the, th- the thing that everybody was mm-hmm. going to look for super athletic, really fast scat back type quarterback that could throw the ball. And it always kind of fizzles out after a couple of years, like they, uh, Robert Griffin, that's the one. And yeah. like, they do good for a couple of years and then the league figures it out and then they kind of go by the wayside. And hopefully, hopefully you're right. Hopefully that it'll be cyclical. I mean, you see defenses that were used in the 70s that came back in the 90s that came back in the early 2000s that like you'll see these defenses that for a while they don't work and then they come back working. You know, even even in even in the modern game as it currently exists, like as much as much as it's fun to watch someone like a Lamar Jackson play in in their game last week or the week before against uh, the Chiefs was a great game to watch and he had a big game as fun as that is to watch do you think anyone on this planet right now would trade you know would would take Lamar Jackson or Cam Newton over Tom Brady or Peyton Manning no one. And, and, and by the way, I don't even, I, I'm saying any team, no matter what your current scheme or players are, you would make that one for one trade the next day if you had the option. Absolutely. Well, Alan, this was a lot of fun. I think we, uh, yeah. covered a, we covered a lot of topics on just sports in general, which was great. Get away from uh, the political BS that we're Amen to that. going through every day. So thank you very much. Uh, give all your plugs and stuff, and then we'll call it a wrap. 
Sure, everybody can watch new episodes of It's Too Late as they debut uh, Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. We're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Odyssey, YouTube, uh, and basically anywhere, uh, all your favorite podcasting platforms of choice. All of those are at Alan Mosley TV. Sounds good. And we'll have to do this again sometime and uh, update on some more sports stuff because that's, I loved it. Yeah, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks. Have a good one.